This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. To another world of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks everybody for taking the time to join us as always. And a special welcome to those of you who are tuning in for the first time. This is an extension of our third anniversary celebration. We've got a series of podcasts. Uh, we're in the midst of our segments where we're spending time with new UX professionals uh, with the Q&A and different topics where we're covering with them. But smack dab in the middle, I thought we'd do something special. So I've got a guest with me today who I will let her introduce herself momentarily. But I'm really always excited to see people who have a lot of passion for the discipline Uh, This person has been an educator in the discipline. And boy, are you going to get a kick out of her commentary on what she has to say about about UX education. But today I have with me the one, the only Megan Thomas. And Megan, I I give people the opportunity to introduce themselves and tell the people who you are. So take it away, Megan. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. You're such, that's such a warm welcome. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm Megan Thomas. I am a senior UX designer. I am currently at Hireology. It is an HR, an ATS. It's an HR software company. Uh, I've been there 10 months. Uh, I've got nine years of experience in the industry, which feels super weird to say about to tip into 10 years. What a decade. Now I feel old. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I've been in uh, my career for, like I said, nine, nine years. And before that, I was a, a front end developer. So I I bring a development perspective to the design work that I do as well. I also, I just realized, like you mentioned, I'm an educator. Uh, I have just wrapped up my third and final cohort. I have taught uh, three cohorts of UX UI bootcamp at UC Berkeley. So the ones that you see advertised, the become a UX designer in 24 weeks. That is what I have taught. Um, And I do have thoughts. I do have thoughts. We will get to that. Uh, but I am no longer teaching there uh, because I have thoughts, uh. and <laughs> and I'm I'm loving leaning into the work that I'm doing. I I really enjoy working on designing technology for people who are not terribly tech savvy, but think they are. Fantastic, fantastic. So this, as always, in these talking shop segments, we're going to have a ball. Yes, <laughs> I'm we are. Sure. So you gave us your intro, which is how we started off. Uh, let's dive into something I always ask everybody else. How did Megan get into UX? What was the thing that happened that that the light bulb came on? What flipped the switch for Megan? And she said, yeah, this, I want to yes. do this. T- tell us your story. Oh, yeah. oh, I love it. Okay. So the, the reason I got into UX is because I was a front-end developer. So to back up a tiny bit, I, I've gone into my story on other podcasts. So we can rustle that up. But essentially, I went from being a flight attendant to being miserable as a flight attendant and oh, wow. realizing um, I want to do something else. I don't want to serve Diet Coke in the sky and have people hand me <laughs> chewed on apple core. It's not my favorite. Uh, and I didn't really know what to do. I don't have a four-year degree. I tried it four times. I learned at 
in my early 30s that I have ADHD and um, I'm on the autism spectrum and I have auditory processing disorder. Like it's fantastic. Uh, But I I knew that like going back to school to slog through four years to get a degree in something I wasn't even sure I would like, Oh, that seems expensive. And um, my grandparents passed and left me $10,000. And I said, you know, grandparents love education. They are big on taking care of education. And so I looked at boot camps, and my partner at the time was a network engineer. So does the nerdy stuff like connecting wires. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to do that. Uh, but I went to a full stack development boot camp here in Portland, Oregon called Epicotus. Still one of the best decisions I have ever made in my life. I, I mm. support the concept of boot camp learning. Again, I have thoughts. We'll talk about UX boot camps. Uh, but that was a great experience for me. And I actually like landed my first job, my first interview. I I, I think because unlike the other boot camp students at the time, I wasn't like uh, somebody sleeping on a couch for five days at a time. I, I put on a dress, <laughs> I put on makeup, I had earrings, I introduced myself, I shook hands, people like that. Uh, and I got my first job as a as a de- front-end developer intern. Like I wasn't even a junior developer as an intern. They were going to give me uh, a three-month opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I really leaned into that opportunity. And I was very, very lucky because this was a startup. It was extremely small. I think our total team at that point was like 25 people. So wow. it was amazing. They were even taking on interns. Uh, but yes. my lead front-end developer was also our lead UX designer. Like you got to wear multiple hats. And mm. I now I don't remember if I've connected the two of you, but you might know of him. Um, he's not active on social media probably because he's very busy, but it's Seth Yont at uh, UX or at UX at Amazon. He's head of shopping <laughs> UX, I think right now. Uh, so he, he taught me on the job. I didn't know what I was doing was UX yes. until like, honestly, like, Two years later, three years later, when I went to get my second job, I'm like, oh, like all of these job descriptions are things that I do. Mm-hmm. And then Seth is like, yeah, that's, <laughs> I've been teaching you that all along. You should actually go do this because you're good at it. Um, but I, I went from like, oh, how do I make this this button perfect? How do I make it have that drop shadow or like do the click, you know, where it, it depresses and you can see it. It's so pretty. <laughs> And then I tipped into because I worked with the marketing person, it was a very small company. I was like, wait, so I can change the text on here. I can change the color. I can change how it shows up on the page. And that influences how people click on it. We had this one. It's it's not even in my portfolio because it's a nothing burger. But it's like, I changed the text. My suggestion was, show me my results, not show me the results. I didn't know about UX writing. I had no idea what I was doing, but <laughs> that actually resulted in 22% increase in click-throughs. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm hooked. This is... Wait, what? You can convince people who <laughs> you're not even talking to them? Like sales without doing any work? Yes. And then I just leaned into it. Um, but I never had formal formal training, which is why it's hilarious. When I went to go teach that UX bootcamp, um, there were things I'm like, oh, is that what that's called? Who knew? <laughs> Amy, testing. We just called that like... yeah multivariate testing, stuff like that. I didn't know. We just did it. And uh, it was. I had a very strange um, portfolio for a while because nobody taught us back in the day. <laughs> you got to do this. Mine was just like a wall of screenshots. What do you want to know? I did this. That's a fantastic story. And, you know, I don't know if you know this about me or not, too, but I was self-taught initially as well. You had to be because when you came through, there was, there was no nobody. <laughs> They're like, I don't know. Do you know anything about ergonomics and how to make people click on things? Like, yes. perfect. You'll do. Yep. Yeah. And we I, had to learn as we went. I, I don't know how I learned about ergonomics, but 
I'm really happy and I still celebrate when I worked at Bosch. It was they did. Number one, they did UX from a CX perspective. So it was more end to end journey Mm -hmm. type of stuff that we were giving attention to. And then we didn't just work on digital properties. Oh, so that would be a dream. Oh, that was fantastic. I even designed a dock for one of our handheld diagnostic tools. Oh, really? I was supposed to get a patent, uh, but <gasps> that's another story. That's on my life list. <laughs> that's another story for another time. What, a <laughs> what happened so funny. with that? Yeah. So I, my second job, which I is not on my resume because I got fired by a guy after three months because I told him, now I'm going to tell you the story and I'll tell you why I know I did it wrong. But essentially this we shouldn't have been reporting up into marketing, but we were And the VP of marketing is like, nobody else don't listen to any other stakeholders except for me. And I wrote an email back and I said, dear so-and-so design does not happen in a vacuum. And I need the input <laughs> of users and whatever. See, here's the thing. Don't CC like 11 other people on those little nasty grams. That was my big thing. So I made a grown man scream and shout at me and basically turn red and spit and fire me. And uh, I was okay with that. It, obviously, I cried. But at the at the time, <laughs> I had been working. That was my second UX job. And I was designing a printer interface. I didn't know that UX could be tipped over yes. into the real world. Yes. And like, again, second job blew my mind. So two months of that, I was, that was insane. Again, we will never mention, but they, they were full crazy. We'll talk about that offline. I'm going to digress and mention one thing because I just think it's interesting that you go through what we now know as UX. I got involved before it was called that. And everything because of the dot-com bust and because UX, I like to say, and I like to think, and I saw it, I actually witnessed it, rescued us from the dot-com bust. Everybody yes. was rushing to get on the internet and and not understanding what the, and nobody understood the internet. It was brand spanking new. So everybody's rushing to the internet and they want to have their brochureware and all other kind of stuff. There wasn't a lot of e-commerce quite yet. E-commerce was just getting going mm-hmm. when the dot-com bust came into play. But if everybody going to the internet, not understanding it, and then consequently thinking that everything was digital, as a lot of people started coming into the discipline, they looked at it from a digital perspective. But mm-hmm. UX is actually pervasive. There's a UX. Everybody that's listening right now, there's a UX in the room that you're in. Yes. When you get in the elevator, there's a UX to the room. When you go to the airport to fly somewhere, there's a UX so to that UX. parking structure. We Everything are surrounded. Is and I think yes. that as we're going to, I, I said that we were, I was about to say, you're, you've been, you're coming up on your 10 years. So this, right, this happened right before you started coming into UX. I said that UX was under siege. And people told me to shut up and they told me I was crazy <laughs> for saying it. And then X number of years later, here we are walking in the siege because now yep. we're overrun by all the stuff I said was happening that nobody mm-hmm. was addressing, but me and maybe a scant other few people. What I think could possibly happen, I don't know this one for sure, but it could because IVR is starting to get more involved with UX. It was very small. And for those that don't know, IVR is interactive voice responses. You know, when you call that toll free number and they say, you the know, phone tree. say or press that was one. The original the, phone yeah. UX. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's that's starting to get more companies are starting to recognize that U.S. can help with that. God, please do something about that as quickly as you can. People are starting to recognize you have companies that are they're getting involved with having U.S. people design the dashboards and vehicles 
Uh, yes. There's more and more UX people are starting to be recognized. The discipline is starting to be recognized more. And as we're trying to, to re- rebound from all the posers and retrofits and the upstarts, as I call them, laying seeds to our discipline, we could also end up seeing more of an uptick in UX work with hardware and not just digital properties. We do everything. And the more people understand the pervasive nature of the discipline, the more you can see us making impact. Oh, that is, yeah. if that's your prediction, I'm going to, I'm going to put my $10 on that as well. <laughs> I know that there, there's the industrial designers. I work with a lot of them. They're mm-hmm. already doing it. Human factors. People have been doing it long before UX was even a thing. I, I, re, I frequently talk about, um, um, the the book designing for people and and the henry dreyfus is the author and this mm-hmm. guy was doing stuff that are part of that pervasive ux type of of experience going all the way back to the early 1900s well yeah. not quite oh, that wow. not quite that early but close like i want to say i can't remember the exact year i want to say 1920s 1930s so 100 years yes so yeah. this is and this but the stuff they're doing that's ux Yes. It's not just websites. It's not just mobile apps. It, it's not just mobile experiences, mobile web experiences. There's, it's a lot more to it. And I think the more we learn it, and I challenge people to expand their horizons. Uh, someone was asked me the other day, well, if there's three ways to approach a certain type of work, which one do you think I should do? I said all three. Because right. one company would do it one way. Another company would do it the second way. Another company would do it the third way. If you know all three, you're marketable at all three. Right. So funny that you say that about threes. I said I was going to teach three cohorts because I wanted to like, you're you're going to have a good experience and a bad experience. And then I need to know like, what's the, what's the midline experience? What's that collection of all of them? Yeah. Yeah. Why not try all three? If you've got the the ability to, you've got the time to, you got the budget to like do yep. all three. The ability How do you know what's going to work? And that, that ever empowering thing for all you Xers, passion. Yes. That's the fuel. If you keep your passion alive, you can do, you can do anything. And, mm-hmm. and, and people say that things are, people like to say that UX is easy. And, and I frequently tell them it's not easy, but I have, to, I, there's a, there's an asterisk that comes with that. Everything takes effort, but the more passionate you are, the easier hard things become. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so if you absolutely. just, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep doing my best. And so when you have that kind of, of juice to just keep you going, you, you can do, yeah, you can do anything. And from that perspective, then things do become easy. It seems easy because of your level of determination. Yes. Whereas somebody else, you, you, we've seen these people, they lack determination, they lack fortitude, and they're always talking about how hard everything is. And, and we've been there too. something that we thought was hard. And then once we decided to, we were, became determined to do it and all of a sudden became easy. It didn't change. No, the attitude level of effort didn't change. It's the perspective <laughs> about, am I willing to take this on? I think like an add on to that is not just like the passion. Uh, you also mentioned like the other people who are successful, like curiosity, genuine yes. curiosity of learning. Like I yes. want to continually learn. And then I think the final third of that is like, letting go of the fear of failure. Yep. 
the fear of failure is what prevents people from moving forward towards success because they're like, well, what if, well, what if I suck at it? But what if you don't suck at it? Exactly. What, what was that? Quote? It might've been <laughs> Winnie the Pooh or something. That's like, what if I fall? But my dear, what if you fly? Yes. And that's the way we need to be. Those are the things that I want to see. I know we're going to talk about this today, but when I'm looking for new UX talent or I'm looking to fill entry level roles, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not look. you, you can't bring, you, you can't sell me on your work. But you I mean, can't. Let's be real. Most of them all <laughs> suck at that. Like at this level, yeah. like as an early career designer, you don't have enough experience yet to yes. not have non-sucky things. And that's okay. Which I think is hilarious because I got to get my portfolio together. What's in it? What's in I don't want to see your portfolio. I want to see your passion. I want to mm-hmm. see your willingness to learn. Mm. I want to see and your you. ability to try something and fail yes. at it and talk about what you learned. Which I which I package into emotional intelligence. Mm, which is yep, number that's three. Exactly it. Those yes. are the three things because you're going to cost me for a year. Yes. So therefore, I want to know how pliable you are. Are you clay yes. or are you are you just a big gigantic boulder? Right. If you are clay, if I can put some water on you and shape you, then we're good. Yeah. And I don't I don't care. You're going to cost me for a year no matter what. So I want to see who's going to bring a return on investment faster. That's the key that a lot of new UXers don't understand. They want to come in and sell me on their portfolio. Your pretty portfolio yeah. doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not even going to look at it, frankly. Right. You know, but that's, I want to talk to you. And when I was like <laughs> hiring apprentices, I didn't ask to see their their portfolio. I'm like, I know if you're coming out of a boot camp and you want to hang out with me, it's probably because you don't have experience. So what I need to know is, are you teachable? Are you interested yes. in digging into the why of things? Are you yes. curious? Are you humble? I don't care what you built in your boot camp because now I've seen three cohorts of students develop pretty much the same thing. And I'm yep. like, there's some of them are going to succeed and some of them are like, but I made you this pretty box. Is that not what you wanted? <laughs> Can you tell me why? Absolutely. So it's interesting that you mentioned yes. that return on investment. This is actually something I haven't talked about very much. So my partner is a CTO mm-hmm. and uh, hires early career designers um, and or not necessarily early career designers, not at the role he's in right now, but it was something that we talked about after uh, after I saw how people are promoted after a few years. And we've, we've, we go into depth about this. My goal is to eventually be in management because I think I'd actually be a pretty good manager. I like people and I like to see them succeed. I come from the perspective of how can I help you be the best person you can be because that just makes me look good. But he talked about when he hires people at um, a level, when he makes that offer, especially as an early career developer on his team, Uh, He's paying you what you're worth a year from now, not what you're worth right now. What you're worth right now Mm. is actually maybe a third of that because you actually take resources away from the team to get you up to speed. And it costs money to do that. You slow down production, you slow down development of the product. So that pay that you're starting at 80,000 a year isn't because, oh, I'm worth 80,000. No, girl, you are probably worth like 40. And in a year, you're going to be worth after training and after being humble and learning, you're going to be worth that 80. And then you can negotiate for what you're worth a year from now. So like people think about like, oh, that's what I'm worth right this minute. Excellent. 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 Yes. (laughs) Yes. Love that. Love that. That's that's fantastic stuff. We talked about how you got free management training from that. (laughs) We talked about how you got into UX. Mm -hmm. Uh, How did you develop? Because of course, over nine years. You've grown, you've seen your perspectives have changed. How, how did you, how do you feel? What were some of those major contributing factors? What are the things that happened 
that you felt helped Megan to go from entry level to mid, from mid to senior? What, what were those, those big turning points for you? So when you sent me the questions that you might, might ask, I literally was like, Oh, acumen, hold on. Let me make sure I, let me make sure I know exactly what that means. And I'm like, right. The discipline, the ability to make, be discerning and make decisions. And really, and truly the thing I can tell you that helped me develop that is being willing to fail and being that hot cheeked, like, Oh, they just tore apart my design and this design crit and it sucked and it felt really bad. And yet it was feedback that I needed to know because I didn't think about these things. I didn't think about how marketing would tie into it. I didn't think about how the business development needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's painful. And the people who don't grow and aren't going to be successful are the ones who take that and shut down. And they're like, eh, I'm going to take my coloring pencils and go home <laughs> because they called my baby ugly. And no, every, every other week I look back and I'm like, well, that was an ugly baby I made and moving on. And it was, and again, I had a really great mentor who was like, Hey, your baby's ugly and that's okay. We're going to grow from this. We're going to learn from this. And it's really difficult if you don't get that level of mentorship to say, Hey, Mm -hmm. this isn't about you. You put your, your thoughts and your work and your attempts onto the screen, onto this paper. And we're not saying that those are bad. It just means that you don't have enough context, knowledge, or experience to know what the next best thing is. So yes. being willing to put it out there and, oh, the worst part, rip the bandaid off and get people to look at it and tell you, hey, I didn't really love that. I didn't really understand that. Um, that color just didn't really appeal to me or the structure of this didn't really make sense. It was hard to understand. Like all of these things, it's hard to get that feedback, but it's the only thing that helped me grow. That's fantastic too. And we, we frequently talk about in order to succeed in UX, the thickness of your skin must change. And, and you remind me how I almost walked away from the discipline. I don't know if you knew this about me, but I almost walked away from the discipline in 2007, 2008. And I just couldn't do, you do all this research and people still blow it down. No, get out of here. I don't want to, I don't care what your data says. And you put together all these great wireframes. Ah, I don't care about that. Why'd you do that? No matter what effort you put into it, things were getting like shot down or people were like coming up with these weird reasons to say no. And, mm-hmm. and you could see the biases. And I didn't know at the time. I didn't realize that we have to manage bias in order to, oh, to succeed. And stakeholder and, opinions yes. and feelings. Yeah. I was falling apart. And so I was ready to walk. I was working at a creative agency, a really large one. Mm. And I was ready to walk away. And I did walk away for a hot minute. And not, not from UX yet, but from that job. And they told me that if you, you know, we, we really like having you here. And if you decide that you want to come back, please let us know. Cause we'd love to have you back. And I'm like, okay, well, that's great. And I went yeah. to the new company and I sat in a meeting one day and they were talking about this work. They were this project they were doing design work for, and I provided my UX input and they all looked at me like I was Frankenstein and they, they in unison, they looked at me at the same time. And then they all looked at each other and continued their conversation as if I had said nothing. And I said, wait a minute, what just happened? Then I found out how my position came to be that the, the, the owner of the company walked into this, the C, uh, the CTO's office and we need somebody to take care of this kind of work and walked out. My, the, it was like 20 seconds. My position was born in 20 seconds. Nobody in the company knew what I was. Nobody in the company knew what I did. And I said, you know what? This is worse than what I just came out of. 
That's tough. And, you got to sell yourself <laughs> and your work and your expertise yeah. and your knowledge and the value of UX every single time you open your mouth. Oh, that's a lot. And and I understand doing it sometime, but not there. I not went down day. to the cafeteria. You said that I could come back <laughs> if I wanted to. <laughs> and, and my boss, my former boss was happy to hear it. We made arrangements. We had to wait three months for the paperwork to come through. So I had to stay at that company while I waited on the paperwork to come through to approve me getting back in all the red tape. But he, but it was the conversation we had that what you said reminds me of. And I talk about this sometime. He said that in this job, I understand what frustrated you. I understand why you left. We we talked about it then, you know, but we didn't talk at length. And he said, I want you to understand something. If you're going to come back, you got to understand one thing. What is that? Friction can be healthy. Mm. Changed my mm-hmm. life completely. And I so- mean, he said that right after you just experienced deep friction at your three months role. And do you now look back at that three months and go, man, I needed that. I had to have that experience or I wouldn't be who I am right now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. We never would have had that conversation because mm-hmm. I would not have lasted that that other company. That was not that would have been the end of me and UX if I had not come back, actually. And wow. I understood healthy friction. I embraced the friction. I no longer took it personally. That's also I hard. was no longer to married learn. to my work. Ooh, that's good. I learned so much. And, and so that became a big that became the big, big jump point moment. for me. Yeah, it was. It was it was humongous. So you just, made, you just made me think about that. So you continue, but I just wanted to. No, I no worries. I love this. <laughs> like it, to me, it mirrors that experience I had where I went for two months to this company and I was like, it's going to be amazing. And it turned out to be super not amazing, but I <sighs> learned from it. I, I, I learned very quickly. Don't, don't send a, an email that is shutting somebody <laughs> down and CC 11 other people. That was, that was an adulting moment there. <laughs> it, it, what's cool about what you said though, it is a great learning moment. Uh, is that again, we have to have thick skin, but we also have to learn. Uh, I have my own model for EQ. Curiosity mm-hmm. is one of the things that's part of EQ for me. Diplomacy mm. that we have and that's to that's a hard skill to learn. Yeah, but we can. And yep. diplomacy is key because there's so many people coming into UX. And again, we're going to talk about this in a bit. So many people coming into UX who think that. This is all easy and it's all rainbows it's all and unicorns and, mush- no, and marshmallows. No, we we're the glue that makes the things run. Bingo. We bring yes. the other teams to an understanding. We actually facilitate way more. And it's certainly 25% of my job is putting pretty yes. boxes on, on the screen. Yep. Everything else is discussing <laughs> and understanding and coming to uh, a collective knowledge that we, we can agree on moving forward with. Like yes. not that much of it is the actual design part. Sure. That part's easy. Like once you get the hang of it. Yep. Arbitration, everything else, ne- arbitration, negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we are advocation. That's a bit has nothing to do with your Figma. Knowing which hill to die on. <laughs> yes. Picking our <laughs> battles. I learned that yes. around the same time I learned about the about the healthy friction. Pick your battles. Okay. Mm-hmm. This one is a must. The user's got to have this. I got to fight this battle. And I need to have all the data to help support so they understand. Even if they say no, I found, and, and I did a podcast episode called the, the Art of Constructive Losing. Is what Ooh. I call it. You know, people are going to say no. Yeah. 
But that doesn't that doesn't relieve you of the responsibility to advocate for users, to be expert voice, mm-hmm. to be the diplomat, to be the negotiator, to be the arbitrator, still do those things, but provide all the substantiation and all the proof so that when yes. it blows up in their face, mm-hmm. when they decide not to listen to you and it blows up in your face, they have what you provided as a point of reference. And, and I have found that when things do blow up, they always come back. They always have to come back because <laughs> user experience is what makes money. Yep. yep. Oh my gosh. Which more yes. people. I mean, just, just fantastic stuff. We're going to segue. Yes, there. let's do We're it. We're going to segue Hard there. I know you mentioned that you, you taught at, at boot camps and you have this, mm-hmm. this educational component that, that you have a love for education. You love growing people, things of that nature. Let's go. Look, we just we labeled this part as the boot camp tangent. We're just going to dive into tangent. any and everything with, with regard to boot camp. So I'm going to follow your lead. Ooh, Take it away. Okay. Let's, what, what, what are you where you want to start and talking about boot camps? Oh my gosh, where do I want to start? Uh, do I want to start <laughs> with boot camps have jumped the shark or the fact that we are we're selling it as a panacea to honestly what is just a disparate, a disparity in, um, wealth accumulation. And we're trying to give people an opportunity to move into like, Hey, these are jobs that pay well and, uh, provide value and, and really help you become a real contributing member of society. But we're trying to sell it in this, like, Oh, it's a super package. Like, here you go. Here's just like, <laughs> here's your six months yep. and your UX designer go out into the world. And that is not, uh, not the case. So I've taught, uh, the UX UI bootcamp, uh, like I said, at UC Berkeley, I, I loved it. I was actually recruited to teach because I had experience. They do not hire educators. They hire, um, professionals, industry yeah. professionals, because, because the value is truly in your instructor explaining like, here's how this relates to the real world, because you can hand somebody a book. Like I, um, so I also worked on the curriculum team. So I will, I don't think it's, I don't think it's inappropriate. I, I worked for two you and to you has now bought edX and I worked on the curriculum team. I got myself the job on the curriculum team because as the instructor about four weeks in, I'm like, well, this isn't working. This is not accurate. This is not aligned with what we're doing now in Mm -hmm. the industry. And I'm frustrated in seeing this. So the moment I saw that there was a curriculum engineer position, I'm like, it's me. I am (laughs) your problem. I'm about to be your problem. And uh, I basically wanted to come in and blow the whole thing up. I set my like little post-it note, like I'm going to write the UX UI textbook. How hilarious of me to think the audacity (laughs) of me to think that there is such a thing as a UX UI textbook. So like, I also had learning moments during this. Uh, but what I realized is these boot camps are here to make money. They are for-profit institutions. Yep. They partner with um, educational institutions to provide a product. It is a revenue sharing program is what I understand. I don't know the details. I'm not going to com- complicate anybody's business model. Um, but we all understand what they're selling. They're selling potential. They're selling opportunity. The problem yep. lies in the money grab for me, my personal perspective is that the quote unquote admissions, which let's be real, even in higher education institutions, even if you go to UC Berkeley or to Stanford, I don't mean to throw UC Berkeley under the bus. They have been amazing. Uh, But 
even at a higher education institution, you're selling a dream. You're taking in 30,000 people in Stanford's freshman class. And yet when you reach the senior class, how many are we actually graduating? It's not 30,000. That's for (laughs) sure. So like the admissions, the sales part is convincing people you should do this because it's valuable for you. And yet we're not actually putting any parameters on who can join. And there are people who are not yet qualified. And I don't want to say that People shouldn't go into UX. I don't want to be the gatekeeper, but like there is a certain amount of gatekeeping that does need to happen because yes. they had people coming into my class who couldn't find their downloads folder. And I'm like, girl, you need to take a room. When I say girl, it is everyone. Everyone's girl to me. Right, girl. Right. Um, it's all like I, I looked at my CTO the other day and I'm like, girl. And he's like, okay, hold on. <laughs> uh, very, very cis white man. And I'm like, girl. Uh, no. So we've got people coming in who can't find, they don't even understand a file structure. So if I'm handing you like documents on Google drive, they can't find things on Google drive. Like this is critical information. You need to come in understanding because we don't teach you how to use Figma. We, I think we used to have Adobe XD in there. Like people could choose which one they wanted to do. I'm like, don't do that. Now you have half the class doing one and half the other. Like I can't support both of these. Uh, Like if you can't find your downloads folder, we have way more ground to cover before you understand how to make a clickable prototype, which we're cramming you into that in week four. It's bananas level how much information we're trying to cram into people. And it is all valuable. But everyone, because I think you get real clouded. I I say everyone. I hate doing that. (laughs) Students who come in who are unprepared and 99.9% of them are because admissions does not have or convey the truth of what the experience is like. Uh, These are definitely not part-time things that you can do on top of having kids, on top of having a full-time job, on top of taking care of your parents. Like There are so many things that you need to be able to do to be successful in this Mm -hmm. that it kind of does require a full-time commitment, Uh, especially if you're going to drop 14, 10, however many thousands of dollars they are now. It requires your full attention. This is not a part-time learning thing. And they're selling it as like, oh, you just need 15 hours a week. Sure, of learning. (laughs) And then there's another 25 hours of doing. I think there's an opportunity for learning UX by doing UX, which is how I learned it. Um, But that's not the bootcamp model. It is cram as much in as possible and hope you survive. But their business model relies on this because honestly, if we just churn you out, we just keep making the money. It's your problem getting a job. It's your problem selling yourself. It's your problem figuring out how to do a portfolio. And that's that's the main reason I, I walked away. I won't do any more classes is not through that model because we're not actually setting you up for success. We're teaching you mm. essentially what you believe to be a linear linear process. And that's not it. We start with design thinking, which well is said. not UX. <laughs> well I'm said. Like, this is stop. And just teaching people critical thinking, problem spotting, not even problem solving, just problem spotting. How mm. would you know that's a problem? How did you know it needed to be solved? Did you talk to the people who were experiencing that? What'd they say? Like, it's just, we're not teaching some of the foundational things, which is honestly, I learned that because I had someone who sat across a table from me and I was like, this is me popping up like a little groundhog. <laughs> Hello. Hey, I have a question about this. Um, is this okay? Uh, it's just boxes on a screen is not, is like I said, it's 25% of the job and we're not teaching the other 50% of the critical yep. thinking and context. I have three things on my wall. 
my, my core values as I continue to develop them. My first one is don't be a dick. And my second one is context matters. You can give anybody a book, mm -hmm. but you need to give them the context so that they actually understand the yes. knowledge and, and retain it in a way that's meaningful. Yes. Absolutely. I'm seeing you smile and nod. And I'm like, yes. So like recently when you were like, I need to untag myself from Megan's post because I don't like to be talked about in boot camps. So I'm like, no, trust me. <laughs> you will approve. You will approve. Like you, you're right there with me. We see the problems. Yes. I don't know how to solve it. I don't have a, a solution. I think the solution is apprenticeships, but companies are not building that into their budget and headcount, and they're not seeing the value in what a junior designer can bring or a career changer, early career designer, which is how I like to re refer to them. Um, but there's so much value that they can bring to the, to the business, but it's hard to go, how much is that worth to me immediately? Nothing to start with. I got to teach you for a year. Then you're worth something to me. Yeah. I have addressed... I don't know if you heard my talk. I did. I was a keynote at University of Michigan at the end of March. Yes. And yeah, that talk about yes. how we only tap into 20% of UX maturity because mm -hmm. it has not been properly no. addressed. No, uh, and, it hasn't. And it's always addressed at the organizational level, but there's personal UX maturity. Uh, and without me going through the whole thing, part of it has to do with education. Education for years, the model of education is you come to us and we are our our product is competent people based on topic X. Mm -hmm. That in a nutshell is what educational institutions are supposed to do. I agree with that. When yep. it comes to UX, we have based on my asking Siri, <laughs> uh, there was. At least you said Siri and not ChatGPT. No, God, no. I, I, <laughs> I I, I, oh, uh, not a tangent today. Next time, next time. <laughs> is that. There's approximately 5,500 universities, institutions of higher learning in the country who their job is to, to, to produce competent people on topic X. Yes. There are less than 175 UX programs at this 5,500 institutions. And of those 175 programs, a very small portion of them. Well, none of them realize that they have a UX maturity responsibility. So they're all on the bottom. They have slim to no UX maturity whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And yet they're trying to teach above their own level. Yes. And, and attempting to instill confidence, competence in people. Yep. How? And, How? And many of them. Well, not many. Some of them. Have they're changing their model where they are doing away with having experienced UXers contribute to the educational process, not only as teachers, but serving as consultants so that these people running the program know what they're doing. Because the people like it is in the workplace, a lot of UX departments at companies are being run by people who know nothing about UX. Oh, my gosh. And so the curriculum I came in to help rewrite. Uh, the person oh God, that I understand and like, I don't want to talk <laughs> smack about somebody that I don't know all the details of. But what I understand is that the person who wrote the vast majority of this boot camp had academic understanding of UX, but yep. not real world experience. And yep. I'm like that, that shows doesn't work. And I should not have been the expert to come in. I was the only hand raiser that had that level of experience. <laughs> but like I, at that point, what, seven years of experience is a couple years ago. So I'm like, 
oh, I should not be the expert, but I know more than apparently what you're teaching. So let's at least level this up. And it has shown there's differences, but like without real world experience, this is almost meaningless. Yeah. It's just reading a psychology book and hoping to understand the gray mush when you open a brain. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If we have to, I think a lot of our problems are they're at the UX maturity level. If we fix, if UX maturity, if we could wave them at that old question, if we could wave a magic wand and UX maturity was all of a sudden in place at every institution, learning institution, corporate institution, mm-hmm. everybody knew what UX was, knew how to cultivate things, it would change everything. That yeah, I do firmly believe that it would impact everything. The 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 posers would get pushed out. Because you'll be found out. You yes. actually don't. You're not good at this. Yep. And that's OK. You're going to seek success elsewhere. They would start the the seniors who have been. I I used to wonder when I was in you at barely when I got my first full time UX gig and started observing things. And I started looking at the people who were writing the books and meeting some of these people that I was really admiring and listening to them and watching them work and seeing like, why in the world are all these people consultants? And why am I not seeing any of these people in these workplaces? Now I'm them, and I know why. Because the organization now, doesn't have the understanding of what you do and what value yep, you bring and yep. how it's worth the money that they need to pay you. Yep. And so we just need somebody in that seat. And then it trickles downhill. Then those people don't want to hire anybody who has more experience than them. And so then the cycle, the cycle continues and we're all paying the price for it because if I've I've been saying this a lot more lately, we're all ambassadors of UX, no matter who we are. If you're in, if you're in it, you're an ambassador. And so you have to represent the discipline properly. And when C-suite people and stakeholders and clients are not having, if they're not afforded the opportunity to be exposed to proper UX and to understand it the way that they should, they're going to behave based on whatever perception yes. has been handed to them. And, and that all traces back to personal. I'm about to do a masterclass on personal UX maturity management. Uh, there's, that's Ooh, going to be, yes. that's going to be, you're going to see news about that here very soon um, for IDF. The, nice. So these things are, we've got to this year for me, this is the year of, of UX maturity. Mm, it has I love to be it. addressed. I did the talk on it. I'm, I already talked to somebody about some other things that I'm going to be doing. If we can get this, get the ball rolling, that's my job because I'm I'll be retired in ten years. And and, and so I, I, what I'm fighting for, I keep keep telling people what I'm fighting for is actually I'm not even going to partake of the benefits. Oh, but I, but I you're I, doing you're laying the groundwork for those yes. of us who are going to be here doing it. Yep. And so yeah. I hope it because I'll just be sitting under a tree drink, drinking iced tea, looking, uh, look at what Megan's talking about. Way to go. Oh, God. You know? <laughs> sitting under my own vine and fig tree. OK, sorry, I'm going to go off into Hamilton. I, you know, it's so interesting that you mentioned that it really does come from the top down. I am super grateful. Like I pinch myself, honestly, in the last couple of weeks. I'm like, how did I get so lucky to find myself at a company where I actually have the CTO who also like our, we restructured a little and our product reports into our CTO. So like engineering and product 
definitely talk together. Um, they're like really tied tightly. He, when he was talking about, here's our focus for the next year, as we did our kickoff in January, usability was the first slide. And I'm like, mm, this wow. man has my heart for the rest of my life. Right. <laughs> like how lucky is that? Yes. Well, actually the company paid for, I think about 10 of us we're currently in Teresa Torres's continuous discovery habits masterclass and uh, just bringing people like the product managers and the senior engineers to go, how do we actually talk to customers and solve those problems? It really is helping us go, oh, maybe these OKRs, maybe these KRs aren't the right KRs. Maybe mm -hmm. these metrics aren't the ones that we can track to demonstrate value. It's just amazing to be in an organization where everyone's taking this seriously and is so yes. involved and invested in UX. And like that, that's rare. I'm nine and a half years <laughs> yeah. in. This is the first time I've seen that. <laughs> yes. First time. So it's out there, but we got to, we got to get everybody on this. Yes. Yeah. So we just keep, we keep fighting that battle. Keep evangelizing. <laughs> You're going to keep yes. paving the way. Next topic up. What's up? Premature titles. I have two <laughs> minds about this. I have two minds because there's one of them that I understand again, because I have a, an amazing mentor in my partner who is a mm -hmm. CTO. And we talk about like the financial part of how do you hire someone? How do you demonstrate their value to the company? How do you, how do you track all this stuff? Um, and there's certain areas of the country, especially when people are hiring distributed teams that you have to have a certain pay band in order to hire this person. And because certain companies are like, no, these are our pay bands. And if you need this amount, it comes with the requisite senior level. So we have at my company, we have a junior designer. She is uh, recently, I think in the last two years out of uh, a boot camp um, at a senior level. And I'm not going to lie. I think when I first found that out, I was a little bit butthurt. I'm, I like, that is the honest truth truth. Like before I knew her, before I knew anything, I'm like, Oh, she's a senior and I'm a senior and I have seven and a half more years of experience. Like, Meh. and yet also one of my students got a senior title and now uh, works for a company I'm very familiar with, has a senior title right out of the bootcamp. Now here's what's interesting. The previous student had 14 years as a non-lawyer legal professional, extremely knowledgeable about documentation, yes. um, extremely knowledgeable about business strategy and bringing all of this. So like mm. that makes sense. Also, he lives in San Francisco. So like, yeah, you're going to need to pay somebody because otherwise they're poor and on the street. <laughs> this other designer, the one at my company, uh, I think that was the same thing. Uh, I did not ask. It's not my business. But my guess is that's the it's the pay band thing. And that makes sense. I'm completely fine with that. And also, now that I have had the opportunity to work with her for 10 months, I'm like, first of all, diamond in the rough, like mm -hmm. really and truly understand strategy, nice. very confident and competent at speaking to like stakeholders willing to lean in and learn very humble, just a really, really solid person you want on your team. It doesn't matter that she just graduated a boot camp a couple of years ago. She's bringing the value. So yeah, pay her. Uh, but the early terms, uh, there's another student of mine who got a job during the boot camp, and she's got a lead UX title. And I'm like, ooh, tell me more about this uh, without <laughs> trying to keep the judgment off my face because I'm way too expressive and my Botox wore off a couple months ago. I'm like, tell me more. And she comes back and is like, I don't think this is the right decision. I don't think I know enough in order to speak up in certain ways. And I don't think my level of experience, regardless of title, gives me the gravitas when I do speak up. And I think that what I'm saying is the right direction. Um, I don't get the respect. 
And I'm also not sure what this means for the next time I get a job. Now, that's the part I worry about. Your next job. Now, your history, your work history is going to go from lead to maybe mid. If you're working to your own level and what you are capable of doing, because she's also yeah. on like a six person team. like, And I mean the six person company, not just the team. Whoa. So you don't have mentorship. You don't have anyone telling you what's going wrong in your files or what's not solving a problem business-wise. Uh, so like you're going to see that that down downward dip of your of your trajectory and like the emotional impact of that and then the financial mm, yes, impact of that yes. and the perception by your future employers and future coworkers and how that they bring that um that I don't want to say knowledge of you, but what they think they know of you um, into that. Like, ooh, don't don't sh- overshoot your title before you're ready. I went for a senior title when I was in like year five. And I was excited. It was my first year. I landed the job <laughs> and I negotiated my first six uh, figure salary. It was like one one hundred, like exactly one hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, oh my god, I made it. Um, also, contacts like six years prior, I was a flight attendant and made like thirty thousand dollars. So, Whoa. like obviously, I was in the money, right? Uh, but I also recognize there's a lot more to being in that level because you have to have the fortitude to stand up and say, no, we're not doing that because that is actually not, not only not solving the problem, it's not technically feasible or whatever. You've got to manage SVPs of who knows what saying, is this really the image we want to use? No, sir. That is a fraggle rock screenshot. (laughs) You're killing me. I try. No, this is why I just use like sketchy pictures. Now people are so weird. But yeah, like there's a lot that comes to it. And like you want that accolades, you want that, um, that, oh, I've made it. You want that money that comes with it. But there's so much more that you haven't learned yet that feels painful and it undermines you emotionally and um, emotional intelligence. But it also, uh, it, it saps your motivation and it, it saps yeah. your ability to feel like I'm doing a good job. Oh my God. I mean, that's phenomenal. You need therapy phenomenal. if you take too big of a title too soon. There we go. Yeah. And people don't, I mean, you did remind me of one person that I've met only one in my career who seemed to have a title earlier than she should have. Actually, there was a few people now that I think about it, but her in particular, I worked directly with her and she embodied what it meant to be a senior. But mm-hmm. the fact that she had that title within two years, you really eloquently explained some of the issues that people, you're, nobody's going to turn that down. When it no, gets offered to him, for you? the most part, the, hey, I get that money. Hey, I get the prestige of that title. Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. I get the street cred. I get, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and they take it, but they don't realize what it's going to potentially turn into mm-hmm. down the road. And, and interestingly, and I think we mentioned this before we started recording, when I worked in that environment, that person treated me with dignity and respect, but nobody else did. And it wasn't because I did anything that that triggered that 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 was a reasonable response. Everybody was scared to death of me. <laughs> and so, really? and nobody wanted to, you know, one person was, they graduated from a boot camp and they were a manager. Oh, so and that going, ties into the other thing that comes with too much seniority too soon. Yeah. You don't know how to be a good manager until you've had a good manager. 
Yes. People learn how to manage based on who is managing them. And if you have a really crappy manager, you're going to treat people like that. It's kind of like relationships. If you have a bad partner, you may not be a great partner until you unlearn some of those habits. And if you weren't taught how to be a good manager, you can be a really bad manager. There's not a lot of them. Treating people with dignity and respect. If you're emotionally immature and like UX immature, how do you know how to bring people to the table and ensure everyone's voice is heard equitably without having that management training. Yeah. Tell you a quick nightmare story. I'll make it really fast. Uh, Same company. There was a person who, it's funny how some people will befriend you. Just, it's that old, was that art of war? Keep your friends close and your enemies Mm -hmm. closer. And they, they viewed me as an enemy. I didn't think that. I didn't, I, 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 as a rule, I treat people with dignity and respect uh, as a rule. I'm, yeah. You couldn't pay me to lie on anybody the whole nine yards. Uh, and and so to me, somebody's not an enemy until they've done enemy things. Yeah. Uh, but this person was close to me. But then when, I'm so glad you're here. So, so great to have somebody with your kind of experience. I'm so excited. And, and me, I'm thinking, you know, that's music to my ears. Hey, you know, I'm always I'm always running from, you know, corporate lynch mobs Ooh. for having done nothing but stand up for what's right. And I mentioned information architecture at one company and it went in my head on a platter. You know, why is that a problem? <laughs> because we want to help people find things easier. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <please>. exactly. <laughs> you know, okay. we, we lost a million dollars on the project because we didn't pay attention to information architecture. And I found out about it. And so now I'm trying to make sure that we're focused on information architecture. I wasn't here when that happened. And then he mentioned information architecture. Kill him. You know, that kind of stuff. But here we are. This That's why person, we need organizational <laughs> UX maturity, right? There. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, continue. But here's this person who I think is forging a relationship with me that I think is going to be good for our team. And one day, and I'm leading design sprints, and and I know how to lead a design sprint to get what we need to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that, and I said, you know what? We're we're gonna we've got all these stickies with all these ideas. But I don't think it's good. People are using their imagination. So let's make sure that we divide. Let's look at some of these things that we think are the best things to work with. And let's put together some visuals so that every, we don't have six people looking at a sticky all thinking six different things. Let's have something that they can relate to. So they're evaluating the real representation of this idea and not just figments of their imagination. OK, good. We'll do that. Then we'll vote on those things. OK, let's do that. So I came up with a way for us to proceed so that we could actually deliver some value. We get through, finished with that sprint. We go into the next sprint. My, my model, and it was my job to devise how we're going to approach the work and how we're going to improve on our, our approaches with the, with the sprint, with the design sprints. That was one of the things, no voting on this, all this dot voting stuff and no, and everybody's thinking different things. We're going to put an end to that. So we got ready the next sprint and we go through the same exact thing. We got all our stickies. We got all our ideas. And somebody says, well, let's vote. This person comes along, same person. Let's vote. I said, no, we don't have any visuals yet. We want to wait until we have some visuals. We'll have them in a couple of days. Let's wait until we've come up with at least some sketch, something, some visual representation so that everybody is voting on the same concepts. And not six different concepts for every sticky. There's six different. And we, and we don't know our voting. Our own data is screwed. We, it's, it's, we, can't, we can't do anything with this. 
well, we need to vote now. No, they just to, they want to feel like they've accomplished something. And the do. vote would have helped them think we came to a decision. Yeah. But that's not it. Sometimes Checking you have to boxes. walk away and let the decision marinate. <laughs> we should. And this person, we need to vote. No, we need to wait. We need to vote. I'm not going to argue. Right. So I I just deferred. OK, go ahead and vote. Go ahead. You just commandeer my meeting, but OK. Right. And you don't, and this is a manager that did this. Go ahead. I'm going, I'm going to be the diplomat mm-hmm. here. So they went ahead and they voted and I didn't vote. It wasn't because and I said, I didn't want to vote. I, I said I wasn't going to vote. I really had no intention on voting, but they, you know, I got busy. I had other people come, things coming over the wall, uh, all kinds of stuff going on. So I didn't vote because because I was going to double back and potentially vote, but I just didn't vote because I forgot because I was doing yeah. all these other things. So we get together and we go to look at the results. And the person said, wait a minute, Darren, you didn't vote. Nope. Why didn't you vote? Well, you know, I said, I actually forgot, but I did say that I didn't think we should vote. So my vote is not important to this. What we were doing. I don't think hey, my vote. You're the one that wanted looked, to vote. Yeah. Did you get what you wanted? And uh, oh, my God, you're going to love this. Long story short, this has already been long, <laughs> but uh, long story short, I said, I, uh, the person kept ragging me for two weeks because we voted. She just kept bringing it up, what? kept bringing it up. Yeah, because we voted. <laughs> I said, you know what? Can you stay behind after this meeting? I want to I want to fill you in on a few things you might not be aware of. Yeah, because that was the person who insisted we vote. And I had already sent a note to my boss when that happened, just so you know, because he's in the meeting. I don't think we should vote, but I'm deferring because of X, Y, and Z. I want to make sure he mm-hmm. understands what I'm doing. You're using your emotional intelligence yep. to allow someone who is desperate to be heard and got to feel heard. punished for it Ugh. royally. Because then when I the person stayed after and I said, you do know why we voted, right? But I wouldn't make an issue out of it, except you keep beating me over the head with it every every time we cross paths. So do you do know why we voted, right? You do know who insisted, right? No, who? I'm going. Were you there? Are you kidding me? And I said, it was you. You said, I would never do that. The person claimed that they never did it. You know, this, but I'm be going into any more. This is, this is the kind of goofy stuff mm-hmm. that comes up. But that person was a manager. My boss was a director. He knew why I did it. He didn't support me. <sighs> this is the same organizational that, U.S. maturity. It's terrible. It was a nightmare. They don't understand the value of ensuring that, like, this is we're doing this for a reason. Like, we're not waving a magic wand and going, "Oh, hold up, what was that? Oh, the user said they wanted us to make it clicky." No, that's not how this is working. It's terrible, <sighs> and, and we can't make we can't make the impact we need to make as UXers with this kind of dysfunction. Being welcomed. And when I told my boss's boss, take this to another level, when I told my boss's boss about the 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 degrees of uh of of maltreatment I was being subjected to, instead of saying, Wow, we need to look into this. I'm sorry that this is happening to you. That's not that would make sense, right? Right. That would be the appropriate thing to do. But of course, you know, it's a nightmare. So Something appropriate didn't that's happen. Not, that's not how the story is about to end. <laughs> the, person, the person said, I've never seen, I've been here for X number of years. 
I've never seen that before. Completely dismissed what I said and went on to the next topic. All right. Uh, I've already sent my resume out. So, okay. Good. I'm glad <laughs> already, you were already, already making plans. Flying I've already seen the writing is on the wall mm-hmm. and, and it's nuts. So, yeah, you know, it's going to be not your monkeys, not your circus very, nope. very soon. And you folks are all happy with people who don't know what they're doing. Uh, then. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people are. <laughs> A lot of yes. companies are doing right now. They're yes. just like, it's very halfway UX. It's like, we really want UX. We don't really understand what it is. And we're definitely not going to take the time to understand it. It's JX. Because they cut the U in half. Yeah. <laughs> JX. We'll judge like you do. Last topic. Then we go yeah. bring it in for a landing here. Advice for up and comers. <sighs> This is tough because there's like a wall of things that you should know. Um, Gosh, what's the most impactful advice I can give? Uh, I think stay humble, stay hungry. I I hate that quote, Uh, but seriously, (laughs) don't take it too seriously because this is all subjective. If you're designing a visual, like if you're designing a UI, it's all subjective. The people who are giving you feedback from your high levels in the company, uh, they have an opinion, but they haven't talked to the customers. This is why it's so essential for the U and UX. We have to talk to the users because there is no business value. There is no money-making if we're not actually solving a problem for the user. Uh, It's it's Stay humble, keep learning, keep asking questions, be curious, find a mentor. If there's anything that like will actually help you improve in this uh, in this industry, especially when it's so hard, when we have so many boot camps churning people out and they are of varying levels of quality. And I think most of that relies on your instructor, uh, the curriculum, yes, but your instructor um, and whether or not you vibe with that person. So if you can find a mentor, the best thing to do is to work on a project where you have supervision from a, a senior uh, designer who's willing mm-hmm. to give you, I would say, at least two hours a week to go, why'd you make that decision? Tell me more about what you learned. Is this what you, uh, is this what you anticipated? What do you think would happen if next, 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 like someone to ask you the hard questions, because you're going to ask people who don't know, or who aren't UX mature, they're going to be like, Oh, it's amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> and I I am the worst person to ask for feedback. Cause I am very much Pollyanna. I'm like, you're doing amazing. <laughs> but if we're like on our own and I'm like, okay, here's the thing. I'm going to rip the bandaid off. Cause I suck at giving critical feedback. I it's hard to tell you it kind of sucks. And it's only because I'm looking at it from the perspective of a hiring manager and you look like gem and the holograms and you're trying to get a bank job. That's not the p- portfolio that's going to do it. I don't know where I got Jim in the holograms, but like rainbows. Um, like it, when they say tailor your resume, like read the room. So it's, it all comes down to that, like understand who you are, where you are and what value you bring. And a lot of that comes from getting that mentorship. Sometimes that mentorship with my mentees just looks like they need to complain today and they need to be heard or they need to go, Oh, I didn't think about it from that perspective. Or let's not just spray and pray resumes. Let's be strategic. Who do you want to work for? Whose core values align with yours? Like it's just find a mentor. It's important. And sometimes you're going to need to pay for that mentor. It's not an ADP list, one-off random person. (laughs) I don't charge a ton, but I do charge enough. You have to pay to pay attention is what I believe. So you you, you uh, said the magic word ADP list. 
And it it, it can be amazing. I've met like one person on there, but uh, that I really thought would be a really good fit for being a mentor to, but they didn't like that. I gave them slightly negative feedback on their, on their portfolio. And they were just like, all right, cool. I'm going to go get other feedback. Great. See ya. Yeah. You don't vibe with me. I'm and not your person. That's fine. You made me think about the episode I did uh, or the series I did on demystifying UX mentoring and how mm. that, that in order to have a mentor, you have to make sure you are mentor ready because everybody yes. is not. And some people mm. seek out mentors because they want to be affirmed or confirmed. Coddled. They don't want. Yeah. Coddling and coddling. And, and, and that's not coddling doesn't produce excellence. No, it does not. And if uh, like the the blog post I did called there's a nail in your tire. If there's a nail in your tire, you need to know if you keep trying, if you keep driving that that car with that nail in your tire, celebrating the look and feel and the power of the car and ignoring the nail, you may not come back home. Right. That that's the reality of it. And so we we all need to we, we all have things that we need to be informed about. We all have things that we need to do to get areas where we can improve. Oh yeah. And, and you're not going to improve if somebody is telling you that everything you do is beautiful. You, this is not the emperor's new clothes. No. You are not wearing the finest silks. No. <laughs> you are. Again, we're talking about early career designers. Trust me, your baby is ugly. Like just yep. let it go. <laughs> let it go. It just, and the thing oh. is, it's ugly now. And mine was ugly. I mean, my portfolio, I, there's only one case study I have that I truly love. And it is like, you see the pink hair. It is 3D emojis <laughs> and it is, it is so fun. But everyone has that's read it is like, this is your voice. I can hear that. And that is what people need to know to present themselves. Like, be it in your voice, but don't apply for companies that don't vibe with that voice. You're, yes. you're not going to have a good time. You're not going to get the, the investment in your growth that you want. They're just going to see you as disposable. You have to really connect. Excellent. If you're going to like work in this capitalism society that we're dealing with here, like if we got to work within it because we have bills to pay, find something that aligns with what you're good at and what you're passionate about. Because otherwise, this is just a daily slog. Yes. Yes. Megan, this is dyna- this has been dynamite. <laughs> I love this. So you know, I love that we talked for an hour before we started recording. <laughs> this has been a true delight. Um, I hope it's helpful. I really hope it, it doesn't is. come off as as negative and gatekeeping. I really, I really love early career designers. I want them to succeed. And I think right now you're being set up for failure because so many boot camps have not prepared you for the reality of the world. And you need to find a good mentor to be honest, straight, and go, hey, buddy, this isn't working. And I'm going to help people. Di- I'm going to help people I'm gonna digest help that. I'm going to help you because I, I, I did a, a show that there was no such thing as positive and negative. There's constructive and destructive. Ooh, I actually was taking <laughs> notes on that. I, no kidding. I have an entire draft in my LinkedIn talking about that particular podcast episode yep. and like how powerful it is. And I haven't finished it because it's already way too long. <laughs> but like that one was particularly good, and people really need to understand that I need to get better at feedback to make sure. Even the negative stuff when you give the shit sandwich, like it's not destructive, but it is so only focused on helping you improve and become the best designer you can be. I literally said on someone when I did the live show for Trimata uh, recently, I said, if there's and we talked about this earlier, too, that how empowering it is to be genuine mm-hmm. and to care. Yes. If somebody has a nail in their tire, tell them because yes. you care and you want them to be safe. So yes. you tell them, 
you tell them if they have spinach in your tea in their teeth. Yes. Because you don't want them to go into that meeting and embarrass themselves. You're sitting on the front row and they're on the stage and you see a booger in their nose. Yeah. You, you so it, it, it's it, there's people see that kind of stuff as negative. I know people it's probably calling laughing you in, not calling you out. Yes. And, and it's That's we, what it is. We care. We want to see you do well. If mm-hmm. you keep saying UX, UI without the understanding, if you keep telling new UXers that and they think it's legit, you send them down a, a, a path where they turn around and say that to somebody else. And then that's perceived a different. So so that's why I call out things like that. I call mm-hmm. out trolls because of the danger associated with the trolls, because the whole scientific makeup behind what a troll is yes. and the impact that they have. That's why we call it. And, and gatekeeping is necessary. Every other discipline has it. And that's yes. why accounting has been around. Right. For and there are qualifications and certifications and yes. licensures for lots of things. We don't have that. And let's be real. A UX certification doesn't yep. say anything more than the four-year degree. I can pass the tests. Yep. But like you have to have somebody to hold you accountable or you're not going to grow. Yep. So gatekeeping yes. is actually good. Mm-hmm. It's the the people, and the funny thing is, we hear people say they're trying to keep us out. Actually, nobody's trying to keep you out. That's a figment of somebody's imagination. So the the gatekeeper that they're imagining. I did another episode about the the UX boogeyman, and that's what yes, that's I about. Do that. yes. <laughs> that's what that's about. There is no UX boogeyman. We're not trying to keep anybody out. We're trying to show you how to come in. Yes, but, but you have you, to come in and be able to do it well. Otherwise, yes. like the stuff that we're we're impacting is people's lives. Like. I'm not, hmm, let's not devolve into like why Instagram is wrong, but like the UX (laughs) designers may have just been like, we shouldn't build this. And then they said, no, we're going to build it anyway. Um, I wouldn't work for those companies for that reason. (laughs) I have to have integrity because what I do can truly impact people. Yes. And people don't realize that ethics and integrity Mm, are actually ethical design matters, core elements associated with UX. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize that. So, but we're, we're trying to, I'm, I have a talk that I was going to do for tech circus and maybe I'll do it. So we talked about it and we yeah. haven't done it yet. And if necessary, I'll record it and just put it on YouTube myself. Yeah. And it's called UX and the good doctor. Oh, because you can, you can parallel our discipline with the Hippocratic oath. That, Ooh, <laughs> yes. Like just that UX and the Hippocratic. Oath. Yes. That is, that is, yep. I would like to see that. Please yep. record so that. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Do it. I actually just talked to Tech Circus two weeks ago. It's, it's, nice. So we'll see what we're going to do. But, um, and, and, you know, people don't want it. That kind of stuff doesn't go viral. So, yeah, no, so. it should, it's, but it doesn't. You got to do the world we live in. Cute, cute, fuzzy things. And that goes viral. Even though it benefits nobody. But bring kittens and rainbows. <laughs> but let's talk about ethics. <laughs> Not a visual medium, but I'm waving my arms. <laughs> but we got to do this again. Yes, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. And and you didn't realize it, but thank you for helping me celebrate the podcast's third anniversary. I'm so uh, thrilled. Thank you for letting me be part of it. And everybody's going to love this, but thanks again. Uh, And folks, that's all the time that we have for today. Um, Closing words. I know we had you you address uh, up and comers, but closing words, uh, Megan. Be kind. Assume... (laughs) Positive intent, be kind, but don't take any shit. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it, folks. But that's all the time we have for today. So this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. As always, wishing you all the best and 
Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.